Matthew? I'll start this one. So the goal for this episode was to really just technically dive into the nitty gritty of joke writing. Uh, from Not from some... Because I realize on the old episodes we're giving these this kind of advice of like, you know, be vulnerable, talk about your individuality. Those are very philosophical. Reflect internally. Yeah, I, I wanted to do a, like a more technical analysis of what makes for good jokes. And it's, it's a pretty loose framework for how we want to discuss this. I have some bullet points, but we, we kind of wanted to do it um, with Laura asking questions, questions she might know the answer to, but kind of have it from the perspective of what is a joke and how do you write one? This has hopefully very little to do with uh, the spiritual components. All right. Well, let's get to it. Matthew. Okay. What do you think a joke is? Oh, God. I don't know. Um, it's when you... That's a great... That's actually a harder question than... It's a very difficult question. I'm like, it's something funny. Because everyone knows it when they see it. But, yeah, but, but like, what's the to... actual... Uh, like? Oh, and let me qualifier put, around it. Something mm, that elicits a humorous reaction. Right, from, something that makes people laugh. That's well, kind of the definition of it, but that doesn't help us create that laughter um, and and consistently creates that laughter. Uh, I'm also, I want to put a big caveat, I'm doing this from the perspective of the way I write, which is definitely not how everyone writes. So if you want to write similar to how I do, this is all good advice for, for someone like me, but there's plenty of people who don't follow any of my rules or tips and are I feel like we're, very funny. Like, this or if is like you the Surgeon like General comedy. warning. Or if you of don't like my writing. comedy, please don't take this advice because you'll definitely send me. I'm someone who errs on the side of being too jokey. I don't mind it being a hard joke. Some it's people like the pharmaceutical component where they're right. speaking really fast. They're like side effects of this side joke because you might sound like Matthew Broussard. Side effects include people going womp womp. <laughs> um, I think uh, I think a joke is a kind of a compression of information. It's kind of a rapid reveal of absurd information. I use the word reveal. Um, it could just be, it's causing your brain to short circuit. It's causing your brain to connect two pieces of information that had seemed distant to you, uh, but very rapidly. So I think it's how, how an explosion of data in your mind. Uh, a pun is a really good example of a joke because it forces you to hear something two different ways. The sentence you hear has two different meanings that are seemingly very apart, yet the exact same words uh, the, 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 yeah, the exact same words. It has two disparate meanings, and your brain is bridging those two things and kind of seeing it from two different angles. It's like that picture of the old lady or the young lady. Have you ever seen that? It's a black yeah. and white cartoon. It could be a young lady looking away from you, an old lady looking straight to the side. Um, I think it's holding with the that crazy nose, right? With the crazy nose, with yeah, the big nose. I yeah, know her. The nose is her chin. I know her. Um, but I think. So basically, it's just kind of rewiring your brain. It's forcing like your brain to rewire. Doing a new neural pathway. Through a new neural pathway. I don't know yeah, the science behind that. Sure. but I'm making it up. Um, what's, White what's matter. Important, what's important, <laughs> I know that, gray matter. What's sure. important in any joke, and I think the thing I would stress the most about jokes, is, is that decompression of information has to be rapid. A funny idea spelled out slowly is not going to create laughter. There's a lot of funny ideas. It's It's... That pinpoint, that one word or two word turn into new information that makes it a joke. So I think it's very important how you word the joke and it, brevity doesn't help the joke, brevity is the joke. It's saying it quickly. Um, and one of the frustrating parts about writing jokes is that a big funny idea to you that seems like you could get a lot out of it might end up being just one line. Wait, so why is that so important? Sorry. Because it, so, so basically you're saying like a big idea that 
if it takes me a very long time to explain like this question right now. If it if it falls out linear, if 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 your brain just follows along step by step, there needs to be a place where it skips a step and then you put it together yourself. Okay. It's forcing your brain to do the work. Sounds an it's, awful lot like a math problem or It's it's like close that. to a riddle. I think it's the information missing can often be what makes it a joke. A uh, very famous joke is a uh, uh, Guy gave me an EpiPen one time. Must have been really important to him because it was the last thing he did before he died. <laughs> There's a lot unsaid there. It has to be that quick because that joke is about the fact that I don't know he was dying from an allergic reaction. That's the unsaid part of this show, joke, but anyone listening to the joke can piece that together for themselves. And the act of piecing it together for themselves is what makes you laugh. Your brain it's like is short circuit. It's the pleasure part of it's your brain. It's the pleasure. I think it's the piecing together that makes it so fun. Or it's at least what I really enjoy in a joke. Now that that makes it sound like it may only be these big misdirects or very clever puns that are jokes. I think a lot of times just a single word of imagery, a single detail in a joke, can unlock a bigger picture. Um, the, the example we were talking about is uh, we, we watched Louis's new special, and there the first time I laughed out loud at one of the jokes was he was describing a van that a guy came in to pick up his dead mother's body, and he goes, "Just a van." Not anything special, a big white van, no seats in the back, a red Powerade bottle rolling around. And why why is that funny? Why is a red Powerade bottle? It's, it's, I guess it's not it's, a device. It's weirdly like relatable. It's something it's a it's, little detail that we've all we all know, but we don't we've realize seen it we before. know. Yes. Yes, you're uncovering that you have seen that as well. Right. You're like, why is that such a clear image in it, my brain? Yeah, it's a, it's a surprising that such a small detail could paint such a vivid picture, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. I've definitely seen bottles rolling around, and as he says that, they all seem red for some reason. Maybe, maybe yeah. red's the most unhealthy flavor. It's <laughs> the closest to Kool-Aid. That's funny. So, how do you write a joke? Well, I, I think a joke starts with seeing something funny. You observe something funny, and obviously, if it's, I, I think if it's funny to you, it's not going to be inherently funny to other people right away. And what you see is a disparity, uh, an irony, an absurdity, or a connection uh, in in the world around you. I feel like I'm listening to a textbook right now. Is it? Is it? Am I being too abstract? Am I being too esoteric? I don't. I'm, I'm trying. You're going to gonna need to give examples because I'm dumb. What, can you think of any of my <laughs> jokes? Because that would be a good place to do it. Oh from. God. Um... I'm sure you have examples already thought of for these. You have too much confidence in me. Okay. I mean, my, the Eddie Murphy joke was a great thing. That was your premise. Mm -hmm. you, you said, someone said, you didn't know that, that Eddie Murphy was in trouble for, or got in trouble or in the news for being pulled over with a transgender prostitute and he told police that he was just giving her a ride. And you said... That's weird. By today's standards, that would be pretty progressive. Now, what I see there is a disparity between an act we once uh, we condemned. once condemned and now, what's the word? Revere. So that joke is set up with the explanation of that information. The next line I do, and this is this is my writing process, I like to get into the premise with a laugh. And oftentimes, that's through a misdirect. The misdirect, the opening to that joke is, imagine if that happened today, people would be like, wow, I didn't know Eddie Murphy was a hero and it's in the word hero I change delivery I change tone and you're afraid I'm going to say something that's that's piling on to Eddie Murphy because people are very socially so it's conscious the tension now. that you're it's, talking about. I'm, I'm building the tension first of all by talking about something kind of dicey there's a lot of uh, buzzwords in that in that premise alone 
Mm -hmm. um, but then to do the act out of when I say, wow, didn't know, it sounds like a condemnation. And then the term hero, I changed my voice, I changed the delivery, and, and now it's, uh, we're honoring him. And that part usually gets a laugh. So that's how I've introduced that disparity that I see as a joke mm -hmm. by a light misdirect. Okay. Wanna, yeah. So what was another one of the ones on your, your list there? I'm a visual learner. In terms of jokes? Yeah. Or, or no, on your, in that list of... So I want to talk about misdirection. Yes, I think that's so a great place. So that's, I feel like that's, that's the example. only, only yeah. technique I use. <laughs> it's okay. I use it a lot too. It's it, Misdirection and pun and wordplay are kind of the two most accessible formats of jokes. They're sure. very easy to understand. They're dad jokes. They're, they're kind of beginner jokes. They're level one. There's two levels of misdirection, and I use both. There's a sincere misdirection and an insincere misdirection. And all that really means is, is it true or is it false? It's very easy to misdirect into something false. One of my favorite jokes is by Sammy Obey. He says, one time I had a fan come up to me after a show and said, Sammy, I think your jokes are hacky and predictable. And I was like, Mom, that's, that's a bad example of a joke because that actually is mocking jokes. That's why it's so funny. But a lot of times people will twist a joke and be like, and that was my mom. Because right. I don't believe you anymore. After a misdirect that hard, I don't believe you anymore. You might get a big laugh, or you might get a big womp womp, but now you've betrayed the audience. So you're saying that the mom shouldn't tell you that your jokes are hack? <laughs> I'm saying you should have something happen at the end of the joke that is surprising but believable. If you betray the crowd, you only get to betray the crowd every so often as a comedian. I watched a comedian go on the other night and just do these kind of wild opening jokes and then go into a bit about taking jujitsu classes. Uh, and uh, I was like, well, this part's interesting, but I don't trust you anymore. I don't know if you're going to lie to me. So I think um, sincere misdirection is simply stating something in kind of a misdirected way, but you're still, you're still arriving at the truth. This is how I like to set up jokes. It's, it's a very clean way. I like to get a laugh at the idea, and it's a, it's a pretty easy way. Uh, but it has to be sincere. Uh, a more sincere misdirect in my act would be... Um, People say French is a dying language. I say not fast enough. It gives the hint that I'm about to support French, but instead I turn the other direction. Okay. It's not super sophisticated, but um, it grabs the crowd's attention and it states my thesis for the joke that I go, that's about, you know, three, four minute joke of me kind of attacking French for its inefficiencies, but it, it helps me start. Um, okay. Yeah. An insincere misdirection would be my baking soda joke. That story is not as believable. I don't want to spoil that one. Uh, but when you... That, that's out there, is it not? No, it's not on anything. All my medical stuff is not online in any way. Or all that new medical stuff. Not the oh. gynecology stuff. Well, damn, because that's, that's one of my favorites. Thanks. Thanks. That's why I'm keeping it okay. under wraps. Wow, what a tease. Wow, you mean. should uh, maybe consider... Putting it out there. Putting it out there, or maybe go um, to see Matthew and... Uh, go see me live and see these jokes see that I've been using for four years. Um, Jeselnik's a guy who does big misdirects, but, and Jeselnik breaks all these rules, but he's a guy who has to kind of stay in a character to do so. I'm talking about if you want to be a comedian who can, who can speak sincerely and honestly and be themselves on stage, which is what I strongly advocate doing with your comedy is being the most honest representation of yourself. Why? Just curious. That's how you connect with people. Those are the people I really love. I think... It, 
just because you make people laugh a lot doesn't mean you can make a career out of this. There's so many people in this country who can just kill, but you won't remember their names after you drive home. If you have a personal connection with them while getting those laughs for a minute, you will pay to come back to see them. If you named all of your favorite comedians, I think it's because you have some personal attachment to them and the vulnerability they show. I know we're going that route, but I, I, I know, like yeah. Do... Let's let's rein it in back to the joke writing because. Right, I but I would generally say try is... to write from an honest place in a joke. I, I certainly have to leave reality every now and then in terms of my stories and some details, but I try to keep it really yeah, grounded that's... because then I have it also helps because then you have room to do something absurd if you need to. Mm-hmm. And and that's that gets me to the second point of insincere Mr. X, those things that escape reality. If you've been going on telling a very convincing story and at the very end of it you twist into something obviously fake but very jarring and, and fun and, and just kind of uh, kind of shocks audi- you into a big so the laugh. the audience knows you're playing with them. Yes, but I'll often close a joke with a joke with a, with a punchline like that. Uh, close a, a premise or even a set. Um, because once I've done that, I've betrayed them. Now I have to move on to a new subject. I can't right, continue right, right. that lie. Right. So that that's and that, that's not just true for Mister X. So I mean, it's like the the end. It's a button of that. I button. Thing. I button. So and that gets me to wordplay. Wordplay and um, uh, misdirection are are very jolting types of punchlines, and you'll see really good comedians use them very rarely. Someone like Bill Burr is not going to use wordplay. Right. And he's 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 going to use very subtle misdirection. Um, and no, I'm like, do I use one? <laughs> uh, and if you're so, new to comedy, we'll use other yeah. devices. Now these these two devices, we probably I think we discussed this before. They have a big risk reward ratio. Ninety nine percent of puns suck. They make you groan. But that one in a hundred that works really works. I would say that's pretty true with misdirection as well. So those are the two power punching. Uh, uh, joke structures you can do or a conflation of the two um, mm-hmm. or a mix of those two devices um, so they have big payoff but they can also really leave you flat in your tracks when they miss they miss really hard so those are the two bigger structures what are the other structures why do you have? think they miss so hard Just because curious. they're ingenuine okay. because they're contrived because they're clearly so the, planned got it got and it. they they betray the conversational conversationality so of the, the, the audience kind of like they know you have a set, but uh-huh. kind of want to feel like no. There's a you thing they want to feel like you're you're, you're their first. <laughs> it's it's a lie. It it pulls back and reveals this is all a lie, and that's the thing you're doing on stage is acting. You have to make it feel real for them. They don't want to know it's prepared. I, right. It's a it's a bad habit I have. Don't even use the word joke on stage. It's is a thing I, I try to remind myself of being like this joke, that joke. Stop saying it's a joke. It should feel like half of a good conversation. Interesting. Yeah. That's the goal. That's um, misdirection, wordplay. So those are and those are also the easiest jokes to write because there's kind of an algorithm for how to build them. Wordplay, you can just sit here and think, here's two ideas. How do I connect them? What word, what yeah. word kind of shares a dual meaning between both categories? Did we talk? I guess we earlier we talked about recognizing the four things. I said I listed four, but recognizing. Uh, a joke and I think it's just something that's funny to you and I think it's funny because of the absurdity of something to you right um, mm-hmm. it, it, it holds two extremes simultaneously but you know I don't really have to go into that if you, if you see something is funny you see something is funny and it's usually because you see two things connecting that shouldn't so a lot of times for me jokes is about connecting ideas connecting them for other people and that, that kind of 
I would say mapping is something you can do. You're setting two things side by side. This is, this is another way I like to write jokes. You're setting two things side by side for the audience. So let's go back to the Eddie Murphy joke. I'm setting, I'm setting this action of Eddie Murphy's next to a highly liberal point of view. He's a hero for these actions. So what, are, what can I connect? And I connect three things in this joke. The first two are pretty linear connections. He supports trans rights. So he clearly supports the trans community. Right? That's, that's right. the first thing. That's the thing you see probably when I say hero. The second thing is a little harder to spot. I say he supports, uh, he supports the legalization of sex work. You might have gotten there on your own, but it's, I think it's funny because it's also connecting it. Now, the third connection is what I call the uncanny connection. If you really want to zip up a joke and, and create those points of contact between the two things you've said by side, you need the uncanny connection. Okay. Um, that means one that's kind of incidental, that's kind of a coincidence. Uh, the third beat in that joke is, and carpooling to reduce his carbon footprint. Right. I don't think people see that one coming. It's clearly not what was going on in that situation. He wasn't, so he wasn't like, carpooling. It's not true. But it is a quote-unquote progressive thing he was doing in that case. So I created three things. So it's almost like you're a lawyer and you have to like build your case. and then Build the, your case. But that last, that the last, last piece, of connection like, has to be absurd. Try to grab absurd. the most absurd Right, it has to be absurd. But it has to be a firm connection, but but like it's not it's real. It's correct, but it's, it's correct, but it's 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 pretty weird. Uh, it's right. it's fun. It's fun because it's 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 absurd. I hate the word absurd because there's not a right. rigorous definition of it. Um, and then that's a good firm. Now that joke feels done. Now that joke feels like the idea is complete because I've given you that uncanny connection between those two subjects. So finding that uncanny connection is the fun part. Um, and is where where the joke gets to feel conclusive. Now, what I really like to do as a bonus for me to really finish a joke is then on that last beat, play a new game. So now I have to find two other things to connect, kind of related by what I've already built, and then find a connection there. And I say, as a side thought, I say, uh, you know, and, and carpooling to reduce his carbon footprint, Eddie Murphy for president. Mm -hmm. That's not a joke. That's actually a set, it gets a laugh, but that's actually set up to the next part. And then his cabinet would just be him in seven different fat suits. Right. Which is, if you know Eddie Murphy in his movies, he often plays characters, of an array of characters who <laughs> wear fat suits. And then I added the tags, secretary of clump, attorney clump. And what I'm doing is I'm taking Eddie Murphy as a president. I'm taking president and Eddie Murphy and finding connections between them. Right. In if, that case, if, I'm finding... If president is Eddie Murphy, then what? Right. And what are, right. what are things associated with Eddie Murphy? What are things associated with the presidency? And I think it's a table of, a, a table, yeah, it's mapping. It's a table of seven people. His cabinet would just be him in seven different fat suits. You picture that table from his movie right. where they're all sitting there. And you picture a president's cabinet, which is a similar thing of people just with assigned roles sitting around. And then I, I, I try to really cinch it up with the names of Attorney Clump and the Secretary of Clump. Because the characters all have the last name Clump. So... I'm explaining a one-minute joke, and I'm taking ten minutes to do so. But it's, no, it's those I, points it's of connections. Minutes, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really. I think it's. Um, That's my beginning and middle. This is end. exactly the kind of stuff that would be very mm -hmm. helpful. Like I'm being quiet because I'm just kind of like. You've told me bits and pieces of this, but I've never given you twenty minutes to just freely talk <laughs> at me. Is it I'm annoying? Like, well, what do it... we want for dinner, Matthew? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really. I think it's really interesting, and hopefully, people will find it as interesting as I do because. I know it's, um, especially as a new comic, you have a kind of like a sixth, 
have a sense for this. I've heard a lot of comedy. Mm-hmm. I, I know I know how to like subconsciously do some pieces of this, but having a more um, you know conscious understanding of what is going on in the background, right? I think is at least I would like to have that in order to continue to write better. My goal, so the reason I don't think this this process I have doesn't help You're me also write extremely, jokes. I um, like knowing the technical. Yes. So this this process doesn't necessarily help me write jokes. A lot of times I just like to examine why a joke works. I'm not looking for all of these parts like by name, but this right. is ultimately what I usually arrive at. So it's it's fun to examine how my jokes work and maybe use that as a guide as to how I want to maybe write a joke when I have a new idea and what might get me to a, a, a complete feeling joke faster. So you have one of your bullet points here is never start new. Can you elaborate on that? So that's, that's more of a performance piece. Just if you have a new joke, this is a thing that I still make a mistake of. Don't start with it. Don't start with a new joke. Oh, got it. Yeah. The first time you tell a joke is the worst that joke will be. It will improve from there. It's structurally. Um, so earn the <laughs> crowd's trust. Not the reception, trust. necessarily. <laughs> Not the reception. That's, that's another phenomenon I'll discuss in a second. But... Um, Pocket it, make sure the crowd... I call it... Sp- starting with a new joke is like spitting in a Petri dish. You want to make sure they like you, you want to make sure they're laughing, and then test the jokes. Then you have something to test it against. I've done this even recently with COVID jokes. Of course, I'm going to have like quarantine jokes. And I thought, well, I have to open with them because it's the thing going on. And then I realized, no, I don't. Three or four minutes in, after I've done some jokes that work, I can just ask the audience, so who has antibodies? There's no reason it has to go at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Even I look like jokes. My uh, the, the joke I started my Conan set with, the, I look like a douchebag. That whole, you know, like, you know, fuck that guy kind of the joke. Uh, that I started that mid-set and longer sets just to test it out. And even just halfway through the set being, hey, I look like a douchebag. It's not that weird to start at mid-set. Right. Yeah, and opening jokes are pretty precious. I mean, a lot of okay. jokes are good, but you can't open with them. And we've discussed that. It's just you got to figure out what, what works first and why and how. Got it. Okay, this, so that would be... That's probably not something to talk about here. And it's still something with reminding people of. Yeah, do you want to not... give your, your three-sentence version of what makes a good opening joke? Oh, oh, what makes an opening joke? I still don't know. For me, it's personal, vulnerable, self-deprecating. I always feel like I have to do... People, So many people do, I look and, like. Yes, and I, I, I will never judge that. No, I mean, uh, I do it too. And yeah, acknowledge what you people are. People laugh at it. <laughs> Acknowledge what like you are so they can knows. like you. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I say it's toilet paper hanging off your shoe. If you look like a certain thing and, and they're afraid you don't know that, uh, they're going to feel worried for you. Right. Yeah. Worried for you. It's like what Taylor was saying, being like, it's okay, I'm in control. She was a young woman doing comedy. She was like, it's okay, I'm in control. Yeah. I got it. I got it. It's okay. Right. Just reassure the crowd. You know what's up. Okay. Um, you want to discuss the different structures? Because I have like yeah. seven laid out. So we did wordplay. Wordplay can be really big. It can be a big pun, or it can be pretty small and little. Of uh, what's the, it was like my 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 G spot joke of do you understand the difference between found the G spot and found in the G spot? That's wordplay. It's not too blunt, and it's 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 not super contrived. It's it's punny, but it's not. Uh, it doesn't take you out of it. I, it's also not like I did the joke just to say that pun. If you set up a story just to say a pun. It better be really, really good. <laughs> um, but that's just wordplay can just be the connections of the way words sound. Um, so they can be subtle or they can be really big, like my uh, my joke about there was a girl who tried to sleep with me to get free Adderall. Attention whore. <laughs> that one. That's pretty big. And after that, I kind of have to move away. I, 
Yeah, that one's that one's betrays. It's actually also after another big pun of uh, you want to get high grades. I That's, feel like you used to do more of those. I used to do more of them. I don't because you were. It's you a newer more, thing. Yeah, it was probably. You were drawing more of the puns then. Too, mm-hmm. and you were. Puns are an easy way to make a connection, and I, I don't fault anyone for doing them. Uh, but I I do look at comics who've been doing this for a while. They tend to move away from them. Right. Some still do. Jimmy Carr still does great puns. Um, Gary Goldman still does really great puns. Uh, I mean, he has like I think the best pun of any 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 joke I've ever heard of the uh, the state's abbreviation joke of uh, you know they're they're figuring out how to uh, find all these ways of shortening words and like so they had to bring in a contractor. I'm sorry, a contractor, and that 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 just it's so clever. It is very um, thought out. Like it's he didn't. It's a lie. In that moment, he didn't mean to to mispronounce it. It was clearly planned, but it's just so clever right. and so that's pertinent a, yeah. to the joke it's very, that yeah. it works. Now, that's another thing you can do with these these big, heavy devices, these big, clunky devices like Wordplay Misdirection. You can also be in on the joke. Do you know what I mean by that? You can also say it a little hammy, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which... It's, it's okay to do that, but don't do a pun and be like... I hate when people do a pun and then kind of apologize for it. Of like, if you wrote it and you think it's funny, deliver it. You know, because people do that on, on Facebook and Twitter a lot. Like, da 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 da, something, something, wordplay. I'll be here all night, folks. And like, hey, oh, just, yeah, yeah. just own it. Like, uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong. Because sometimes a joke, a really jokey joke, can work great. Again, the contractor contractor. It just works really well. And it, like, it, maybe if it had been slightly off, it could have just been a big old. But instead, it's it's a roar of laughter. Um, so wordplay hyperbole. I think the next her uh, wordplay and misdirection hyperbole. Hyperbole is a, is is probably the next most common device. It's a very useful one. Now hyperbole is really nice. Do you know what I mean by hyperbole? Yeah, like large exaggerations. Large exaggerations. They're. Uh, you should be a professor. Why? Because I feel like I'm in class. Are you actually learning? Yeah, no, I am. I like hyperbole. You also have a good way of delivering it. Thanks. It feels very messy. Like, I'm, I'm willing to re-record this episode after I have, like, yeah, figured this out. Well, also, you'll probably consider it more. So maybe we'll do version two. Where we'll we do version two. We do this whole thing. And delete is, this. Yeah. Yeah. Hyperbole is, the next, hyperbole is the next hardest punching punchline. Um... It's not just saying, so if I just said, he was seven feet tall, that is hyperbole, but it's not going to be hyperbole unless it has some element of clever in it. So when I say, uh, I used to live, when I, my old apartment was me, I work in entertainment, they were marketing tech and real estate, uh, which is, if you haven't read Revelations, the four horsemen, this is true, if we stand in the diamond, put our hands together and chant, an apple store opens, it just rumbles to the ground. That's hyperbole. That's an exaggeration to make a point. But what I've done is I've also pulled in disparate elements. of It's a joke about gentrification. It's a joke about when these people move into a neighborhood. It typically means that businesses, recognizable brand names are going up. So to do it through this mystical, magical element of standing in a diamond, the specificity of standing in a diamond and chanting, uh, causing a building to rumble through the ground is satanic imagery, uh, cults, all of that. So it pulls in this other element uh, uh, in the process of being hyperbolic. And it's also so, so it's ridiculous. It's basically like, what if gentrification was like 
a mystical right and device. I think different people make different connections with that joke but it was it was a very cons- I don't I did that joke in my found set and it, it was a very consistent laugh mm-hmm. um, and the beauty of hyperbole is if you if it's strong enough you can say a complete lie to the audience and keep chugging along so that one that's clearly not true it's not true that if we stand at a diamond and chant an apple store will rise to the ground but it's so extreme that you get that i'm making a point about Mm -hmm. just how yuppie-ish our household was so that is one of my stronger examples of hyperbole hyperbole is something that people never grow out of Bill Burr will use hyperbole his whole time. Quick examples of... It, although hyperbole can be in the other direction as well. It can be... Uh, if, if, if you're talking about something really big, you can actually minimize. It's kind of reverse hyperbole, but it works the same way. Like, uh, I think Bill Burr's joke about... You hate that joke, but about uh, Me Too... The, the Me Too allegations against, like, smaller infractions being like it started out with these monsters being taken down and being like it was horrible he showed up late he showed up late as hyperbole but it's in the other direction so mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. starting with something really big and bad and you're moving to things that are small um, but hyperbole can kind of move in every direction um, just creative examples of showcasing extremes and then you typically good hyperbole has to break reality a little bit What's the oh fucking classic joke, Jack Mayberry of a I'm from middle of Texas, it's so big and flat that on a clear day you can stand in the middle of a field, look out to the back of your own head. That's fantastic hyperbole. It's also yeah. very creative. It's what's actually called Adonatan, where it's it's taken to extreme that it's physically and logistically impossible. So I'm a big fan of that. I mean, even rappers do that. My dick's so hard it makes a metal detector go off. That's an extreme but a creative one. And it it, it, it shifts categories. So it's often moving into the next vessel. So hyperbole, you never... I don't think you get penalized for. Wait, is that vessel shifting? That's vessel shifting. I, I That's a bad name to call it, but a, a great joke by... I'm going to misword it very, very much, but Ray Romano has a joke. He It's complaining about how he loves orange juice. Whenever you order breakfast, they always give you these really small containers of orange mm-hmm. juice. Because I ordered a medium cup of orange juice, and it came in like a Dixie cup. I was like, what's a small, a wet rag? <laughs> oh, right. He could take the linear route type early. What's a small, a thimble? Right. Um, uh, you know, I mean, but actually to take it to its sh- shifting vessels into what's the amount of liquid that could, could be contained in just a, in the fibers of a, of a cloth. Right. So that's very creative. That's very good hyperbole. That's what you should aim for with hyperbole. And hyperbole can be used at any point in the joke, at, at, at the final punchline, in the setup. Um, it's It's... Very difficult to exhaust hyperbole. Whereas with misdirection and puns, I can only do them every few minutes before it starts to break down and the crowd, they, they start to have a detrimental effect on all of my punchlines. Hyperbole, if you do it well, you can do it endlessly. I would say hyperbole and, res- and reference specificity are the only devices that uh, really good conversational comics use. Um, Bill Burr, Eliza Schlesinger will just use hyperbole and reference for an hour. She won't use big misdirects or wordplay uh, or use them very spar- sparsely. Uh, also, act outs, which I'm not here to discuss act outs because I don't know how to do them. But uh, <laughs> specificity and reference, I Version would say. Version 2, maybe. What's that? Version 2, maybe. Right. Matthew learns act outs. <laughs> That'd be great. It's like, a, it's like an opening couple. to uh, <laughs> Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, okay. So, reference specificity is another 
another device that, that can be used, um, what's the word, liberally, um, as much as you Go want. Go crazy with it. Which I think that's what the, the, the red Powerade bottle was a, specific, a specificity of because he gave such a specific detail, yet it, it unlocked such a universal image. It helped. Of um, I, I use it in my joke from my, my half hour of um, a baby... Uh, uh, you know, baby born with two white chromosomes being extra manly. He has, you know, he's born with stubble and naturally smells like Old Spice. Mm-hmm. That's hyperbole, but it's also the reference to Old Spice. Yeah, uh, so that's it gives, Oh, it's one. I, I, I dare say most good jokes have a mixture of, of these elements. And I think it's, I, I do have seven elements. So we've gone through, we're on our fourth element right now. Uh, it's a long, long list. Mm-hmm. So... Reference specificity, and it's this is uh, I don't know whose famous quote it is, but it was told to me by um, uh, another comment. What's his name? Bah. Paul Varghese. Paul Varghese told me always high. So that was a long pause, but I'm gonna edit it so it sounds it. like yes. it was a very short pause. Paul Varghese. But he got it. Paul Varghese. <laughs> <laughs> now you're gonna leave it in. It's uh, always. Uh, Always hinds, never catch up. So if you're giving details in a story, oh, the yeah. more specific the details, the, the richer the picture you paint. And sometimes if you get just the right detail, it can be a big laugh. Um, the problem with references is they're not always universal. Yeah. And the well, more... Well, I'm going to be honest, the Eddie Murphy with the seven different fat suits. That reference is lost on you. I didn't watch TV. Mm-hmm. Like. I kind of know what you're talking about, but for me, that's not going to be nearly as funny. And then if you yeah, go to a non-American another, crowd, yeah. good luck. I mean, Eddie Murphy's well, super well-known, so Here's, like I'm really living under a rock. That's fair. That. And it's also, I'm luckily employing another device there, too, of the image of a man in seven different fat suits. Yeah, holding different it's government funny positions. inherently. It's, it's pretty absurd in and of mm-hmm. its own self. Um, um, the problem with references is, is, is they're not, you can't count on them. You don't, you don't know if they're ubiquitous or not. And if they work, if, if they only, a fraction of the crowd gets it, they will laugh harder and give you a false read, a false positive, especially right. if you're performing only within certain groups. If you're only performing at Brooklyn Alt shows and you're referencing, what's a, what's a hit podcast? This American Life. You're doing an Ira Glass impression. It's going to be, oh, people are going to go nuts for it, but then people who don't know that... The problem, the thing that's happening is the people who do get that reference aren't just laughing because they get the reference. They're laughing because they have a sense of affirmation for knowing about something cool. Yeah. Because oh, you don't just laugh because you... There's nothing better than that. Are right? you kidding? Because you don't only laugh because you find things funny. You laugh because it, like, it boosts cool your sense of self-worth. Yeah. Which is why a lot of comedians will, will make big, strong statements. And those are the parts you like. You're like, I like what he said about millennials being lazy. I mean, like... Yeah, but that's not funny. You yeah. just agree with that. It makes you feel better about yourself when you hear someone say that. Right? You know, like... So when you hear someone when you hear someone say a reference that you know, but not cleverly, I cleverly, I don't I don't like that. And I don't like when people just use a reference just to show that they're in the know and people laugh just to show that they're in the know. So make sure if you're doing a reference, it's not for it's it's not getting laughed just because of that. Right. So th- that's the problem with references. Um, on the other side, I don't like too general of references. And this is a note I have in that document that you're reading. Always Princeton, never Harvard. And do you know what I mean by that? I don't. If you need all. a specific reference in a joke, I mean, like, the guy looked like he went to Harvard. You know what I mean? Like, you're just trying to make fun of someone for being, like, really douchey. Harvard's the easiest reference. Princeton 
gets the same thing done, but it's more creative. Harvard's kind of the first thought. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, so don't go with your first thought in terms of... If right, you're don't go with something. the easiest reference. You want the farthest reference that still works most of the time. So or I guess Yale, like the, or Duke, or Brandeis. Instead Those of the fun. red Gatorade, it could have been just a water bottle. Which is funny, but it's not nearly as funny as like a half-empty red Gatorade. I, I think the easiest example of something rolling around would be a bottle of Axe body spray. That's too easy. It's been established comedically as the known trope. Um, I did not know that, but again, under I, a rock. I, it's hard to. It's, it's a little joke, so enough. But like, a lot of times if you pl- you're plugging in those easy references, a better example would be Nickelback. If you think of a shitty band and you, you throw in Nickelback, you'll probably get a laugh, but the comics won't like it. Because Nickelback has been clearly established through memes and jokes as the band that everyone yeah. hates on. I would much rather you hear a band, hear you say a band that I haven't heard discussed in that life, but I would uh, light, but I would agree that we all kind of shit on. If you said Maroon 5, I think I, I would laugh and I think everyone else would. So you want that, it's that orbital of reference. You want the last orbital of reference before you lose most of the crowd. But you definitely don't... You don't want that first one because it's too easy and anyone could have said that. I feel like I need to include a study guide. We can bullet point this. <laughs> so those are the two extremes. If you go too far some homework to the niche week. references, you're being, you're being self-indulgent. If you're going to, to the two obvious references, you're being uh, lazy. Mm-hmm. So trying to find that last... I love that last orbital before it spins off into oblivion. So, I mean, I wish I could think of an example of my joke. I mean, I'm guilty of doing a lacrosse joke. I still feel weird about that. Uh, people incorrectly assume I'm good at lacrosse. Lacrosse is kind of an easy reference. In retrospect, maybe I wish I'd done... I don't think it was at that point. At though. that point, less so. Yeah. And I also think the, the, the structure around it was somewhat clever of people incorrectly assume I'm good at lacrosse. So the punchline might have been in the, in the assumptions and the fact that that was painting that as my hardship. If I just went there and be like, right. I look like I'm good at lacrosse, I think that would be a little lazy. But like it would be in, in place of lacrosse, maybe. Could have done uh, like polo. Rowing. Rowing. Or, or either one of those would have, but I don't know if that's an extreme enough. Right, but you, it, it's difficult to find that balance. So you find totally. that balance, but you, you've heard lazy. I see what you mean, stage. though. So and references can be big pops, um, and they don't they don't mess up the momentum of a joke. You can get that reference in the middle of a joke and keep telling the story and keep moving towards your punchline. Um, I guess we've done mapping now. Conflation, conflation is these things kind of melt together. Conflation of. Conflation would be... I think we should do this as two parts. Where are we at? We're almost 40 minutes. Let me read my notes real quick. 